Thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, your podcast on the IMDb 250. And I actually mean that this time. We're returning to your favorite and or least favorite branding to do an emergency episode. <laughs> an emergency regular episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, I am joined by my usual co-host, Tyler Hannon. Hi, that's me. We are joined for the first time by our lovely friend, Charlie. Hello. And we are so excited to have you. Oh, thank you. Um, so yeah, if you guys have forgotten what our normal formatting is like, we'll remind you. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and start things off with a cool recently watched section. So Charlie, would you be so kind as to please tell us what movie you have watched recently? Yes, indeed. I've seen Phantom Thread twice in a 24 hour period <laughs> because it was very good. It's Paul Thomas Anderson. So of course it's incredible. Um, I think it might actually be my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film. And I'm trying to think of what else to say about it. It's Daniel Day-Lewis' <laughs> yes, last film. Yes, which I was reading an interview, and I guess the movie itself made him really sad. And he was like, it made me so sad that I decided I should quit. Which, <laughs> oh. like, yeah, it's so daunting, because I think, I wonder if, like, Paul Thomas Anderson feels bad about it. <laughs> I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson is not a person to feel remorse. <laughs> That's but true. If I could, um, so the only thing that I know about this movie is that it's Daniel Lewis's last movie and the trailer that we just saw, which you informed me is not a very good trailer. So <laughs> it is not. Um, no. If you give me just like a tiny bit of a plot overview right. and then, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to explain it without like spoiling away how wild it is. Because <laughs> I went in with a review that just said, was that second act real? And that was all I knew going in. And, like, I was anticipating. I don't know. When I went in, I thought it was just going to be a movie about a guy who makes dresses. Oh, that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> it is technically still I mean, yes, it is. Um, it's, I, I, it's like a dark humor romance that's not a romance. Yeah. It was a surprisingly uh, fitting double feature with There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Because that is, like, you know... A lot of tension and stress, which actually, well, there's there's a lot of blood at a certain point, but then coming to this, which I thought was going to be very stressful, it's actually, well, there is certain lots of stress, obviously, it's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, but it's also very funny and (laughs) just weird. It Everything kind of sneaks up on you where, like, it's really stressful. I mean, not super stressful, but you don't really, like, feel like... It's there will be blood is in your face like all the mm-hmm. time and the the scores like all these percussion instruments and then you go see Phantom Thread and it's like calm like fifties post war Britain and like everyone's all calm and the music's all pianos and yet some wild shit is going down. <laughs> it lulls you into a sense of security. It's like oh this is just a delightful little movie yeah. about some people making fancy stuff. Who pick mushrooms? Alright, well, I'm gonna have to go see that. It sounds <laughs> it like is not a ride. The, it is not like the daunting epic, or not even epic, like, it is not like the daunting, dense uh, fare that I expected it to be, yeah. and which would, might have keep, kept me away from it for a long time. Like, the way that it, I only just saw There Will Be Blood because I was like, oh, I have to be in the right headspace, and I have to block out like 12 hours of my life to just <laughs> process this. And it's still kind of like that, but Phantom Thread, you do not need to feel so, uh, I don't know. You, you're not going to be bored, but you're also not going to have to reckon with every choice you've made in your life. I think that Paul Thomas Anderson has a wider like genre pool than people yeah, give him credit for. They're all so diverse. It's yeah, funny. and like the trailer, I feel like it doesn't tell the story, but I think the trailer is really pretty, and it gets you into the right like vibe of the movie. Mm-hmm. Because if it told you anything else, I would like. I will not say be. I don't know how you sell that movie besides saying yeah, there's exactly. romance and look at the pretty dresses. <laughs> I think it's, his hair is wild. <laughs> I thought he was so attractive. I'm not gonna lie. It is a rare movie that we don't just like spoil the shit out of on this podcast. So like I'm very. It's intrigued, still very so. new. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, that's true. This. Yeah, so awesome. I think 
Well, Tyler already saw it, but I will want to also go see it. <laughs> but yeah, um, Tyler, what have you watched recently? Uh, well, I already mentioned one of the movies, which is the one that Charlie and I watched before Phantom Thread. I saw There Will Be Blood for the first time. I've said like twice already. Uh, and most most of what I know about There Will Be Blood is every single human being online since the greatest movie ever made <laughs> and which was a lot of pressure and so uh, a big reason i had not seen it for the first 10 years of its release uh when something gets that much press like i knew it'd be good but i was i was afraid of being underwhelmed it's right? hard to contend with that it's kind of like i i have been i think for a while i falsely equated uh paul thomas anderson hype with christopher nolan hype and the people who like hype them <laughs> but it's that's not quite right because yeah. uh Christopher Nolan's uh, more obnoxious fan base is just, like, white male nerds. Whereas Paul Thomas Anderson, the people who hype him, are, is just, like, basically everyone. Uh, <laughs> it's a very, like, diverse group, group of critics online. And I can see why after seeing it, because that is a real good movie. Uh, watching it made me just think, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's better at directing than I will ever be at even breathing. Uh, walking, being alive on this planet. Uh, I, my life feels very fragile just because of how good he is at doing what he does. And he's got such a mastery of visual storytelling and capturing these very complex characters without ever, ever being uh, too obvious or too subtle. It's got a great balance. Like The first ten minutes, uh, we see a younger version of Daniel Day-Lewis's character just mining for oil by himself, it seems very terrible. I would hate to ever mine oil in the 1800s or early 1900s. Uh, or just ever, but especially back <laughs> yeah. then when it seems like anything could break and you could be crushed easily. I can't believe no one died on the set. But basically, he finds oil, but in the something goes wrong. His ladder breaks and he breaks his leg. And you see him start to drag himself bodily on the ground with a broken leg to town to bring his oil there and it just cuts to him in town and you realize this dude dragged his broken ass all the way across this barren mountainous landscape it pans across and it really sets up right away how uh obsessive and competitive this dude is and just goes on from there it's uh, and just incredible twists of plot and it felt it rivaled many horror movies I see with uh, both the suspense and the violence it has, but also is terribly funny, like in the <laughs> worst ways. It was a really riveting experience that I, I, I compared uh, after we left the movie. I compared how I felt to it to how I felt after movies like Green Room, Whiplash, uh, maybe a little bit of Dunkirk, but especially those first two where it's just this harrowing experience. But I feel alive like vibrantly and kinetically yeah, yeah. alive afterwards <laughs> so yeah uh basically more raving about how good it is much like everyone else online has been doing for 10 years already so <laughs> thank you for this new and interesting <laughs> i've actually never seen it seeing it in theaters was a great choice yeah, i haven't seen it in so long and then i went and saw it in theaters and there were like parts that i completely forgot about and i was like oh my, this is like a whole new experience it, it is a three-hour movie that does not feel yeah, like, no. like you never feel the need to check your watch <laughs> or anything which is not usually the case for me even the movie we're talking about today i felt like oh, i'm stretching it out a little bit this was mm -hmm. there's no fluff here there's a reason people could it's like this generation citizen kane or whatever there was yeah. this great thing i saw that was like you know i would never say this for any other director but I want Paul Thomas Anderson to make longer movies. <laughs> he, that dude is really, really good at what he does. And, it, and it's also nice. It's like, it seems like he's a decent person. He doesn't take himself too seriously either. Wild. Like, very different from his most lauded uh, collaborator, Daniel Day-Lewis, who takes his crap. So much. <laughs> so much all the time. <laughs> who constantly has to be in character. But, uh, yeah, so that was that's the most... Oof. I feel spent just that. I actually think I'm done for the podcast. I All right. Uh, I got it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and the other movie I saw was, or I've seen a couple, I've been catching up with a lot of awards favorites for this year because award season movies don't hit till like December in the indie theaters. I'm like, oh, great. I will start making my list in six months then. Uh, <laughs> but I also saw The Shape of Water, uh, Guillermo del Toro's latest, which is uh, a fantasy romance, <laughs> uh, which. 
people will argue about is it horror i don't want to have that argument because i think that argument's dumb and i will not let myself fall into that trap <laughs> we had a whole episode about that you can check it out Duh. on our it episode and it wasn't an argument no. it was a discussion <laughs> uh, continuing on <laughs> Guillermo del Toro is obviously uh, one of our best auteurs and I say that not even liking a lot of his movies uh, I love Pan's Labyrinth obviously we've talked about that but um, I always I love the craft of his movies I want he's one of those directors even if I hate a movie he makes I want him to always keep making movies because right. there's no one quite like him uh, they look fantastic but sometimes leave me a little Kind of cold, like when we saw Crimson Peak. Kayla, I know we're on the same page about that one, or at least a similar mm, page. For this, yeah, for the most part. Yeah. I, I really liked Crimson Peak, but I think that it is not a movie that I want to go back to a lot. And I think it's definitely a movie that benefits from a theater screening, where as his other movies, like you can watch, like Pan's Labyrinth, you can watch a million times. And it's each, it's as good each time. But, yeah. like, Crimson Peak is something that just, like, looks really good. But, like, there's not, I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes he fails a lot in the story department, which is, like, yeah. which is a bummer because so I think that he's a really good, yeah. Yeah, he's a good, like, he posts so much stuff on Twitter of, like, here's all this backstory he's I did so for all my characters. Passionate. And I'm like, you have all these, like, great Why characters. Why wasn't that in the movie? Like, what happened to the movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, yeah, it's, like, Crimson Peak is one. I I am I know there are people who love Pacific Rim, and that just That's really... That's me. Oh, my God. I, like, yes. I get it. I get it. And I just... But I just can't with it. It just didn't work for me. But uh, I will say, we talk about how his stories are um, maybe uh, some of the thinner parts of what he does. Uh the Shape of Water turns that into a strength by being full-on fairy tale. It is, right. in every way it's structured, it is set up as and executed as a fairy tale. So if the characters are a little thin, it kind of fits with the premise and what the uh, intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, and if things are a little simple, that's part of the point, too. There are places for simplicity and uh earnestness and he's always kind of good he's always at least pretty good with that stuff anyways here it makes much better use of it than how i feel about most of his other english language movies um i guess there isn't a lot to say besides that besides besides uh it's a, like it is a beautiful uh fish man love story uh and it does go all the way uh, <laughs> this fish, so this fish fucks oh this fish fucks <laughs> Much like the young pub. (laughs) Although I will say, before I went into it, my friend, like, whispered to me. She was like, okay, so I heard that there's fish dick in this movie. (laughs) And the whole time, I was waiting for it. And, like... It looks very flat. How does this work? You might be a little disappointed. (laughs) A good warning for anyone who is really, really into the fish dick aspect. But for a movie with fish dick and uh, a, a moment of very intense female masturbation... Uh, which is act- which yeah. is actually very important for like he does a great job like silently setting up her character, but uh, it's a story about uh, this woman played by Sally Hawkins who is uh, who is mute and works in this lab where the uh, fish man we have <laughs> who fucks it is. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, that's how he's building the credits actually. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's it, it is like a beautiful story that it contains some of the uh, graphic flourishes that uh, Guillermo really likes and is really good at uh, tremendous costuming performances and um, the way that uh, Sally Hawkins' character is very well done. She's tremendous in this mostly silent performance and the way it gets across. Uh, her emotions, why she's drawn to the fish man. Uh, this is, really deserves better He's than so my hot. giggling. Honestly, he kind of is sexy. Like, Guillermo made a point to like make it a sexy fish man, right. and he is a sexy fish man. Uh, <laughs> um, but it, it, it is a beautiful fairy tale that is occasionally very graphic, but benefits from some incredible performances, including Richard Jenkins, who's so good. Michael Stuhlbarg, who we'll be talking about more. <laughs> Michael life. Shannon, who's just, I mean, he he's could do very, this in his sleep, but yeah. he's great at being an evil motherfucker. He's super Michael Shannon in oh, this movie. Michael <laughs> Shannon. Good. And uh, just, yeah, great performances. It's probably my favorite, pretty easily, of Guillermo del Toro's English language movies. Which is nice, because I didn't like being in the place where I was of, I might not be on the same wavelength as Guillermo del Toro as I thought I was. I'm, I, I don't like saying I'm disappointed by his movies. It just yeah. feels like a, like, I feel like I'm failing. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, Guillermo. 
I mean, like, you are, but it's cool. (laughs) You're back on page now. But despite all the backhanded compliments and veiled criticisms I just uttered, uh, it's really good. You should go see it. It's a beautiful little movie. Awesome. And you get to make jokes about fish sticks. (laughs) It's going to sound like in the recording, like, fish sticks the entire time, and it's going to be hilarious. Okay, so I'm actually going to talk about one movie and one TV show. I, I said movies. Too bad. <laughs> the other, I've seen two movies recently, but I don't really care to talk about Dune on the podcast. I'm much more excited for the Denis Villeneuve version of it, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, so I'm going to talk about the TV show first, because the movie is more scary. <laughs> but the TV show... Uh, so Ben and I recently binged all of the Brooklyn Nine-Nine that is on the Hulu. The Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> And what a delight. I, there are, like, I, as you all know, I love Parks and Rec and talk about it often, and I'm almost always rewatching it, and this is the first time I've ever watched a show where I felt like, this might be better than Parks and Rec. (laughs) Just because, just because, and I I know, that's a lot, and it's just because, one, I didn't feel about any part of the show throughout all of the five seasons that I watched in an embarrassingly short amount of time that there were parts of it that I had to kind of like make excuses for or be like, okay, that kind of sucks. But like the rest of the show is still really good. Like, all right, it's fine that we made that stupid bad joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, yes. Obviously, Mark Brandanowitz is the worst thing that ever happened to television. Oh, my God. (laughs) I hate him so much. But anyway, no, but it's just like sometimes in early seasons of Parks and Rec, there are those jokes that are just a little bit like... Oh, I wish we'd found a better way to do that. But, like, with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I feel like they did a really great job of taking these characters that are sort of, like, archetypal and making them not. Like, fleshing them out, making them real people. And it also has a super diverse cast, a super interesting, like, a, an interesting world to grapple with because it's not the easiest thing to take cops and police and make it funny and relatable and, and not problematic somehow <laughs> yes and that the show would be a terrible idea yeah and time. it's so great and andy sandberg is one of those people who i feel like doesn't always get to show off like what a good person he is <laughs> and this is definitely one of those shows where i'm like yes like i feel really good about liking this person and supporting their projects and he's got a great face he's, he does <laughs> and he's one of those like he's one of those goofy white dudes that i'm always like Fuck. Oh, that is the kind of person that I like. God damn it. He always has one of those, like, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's in mid-season finale right now, and I am dying, waiting for it to come back. So, hopefully, it will be back soon. And I would highly recommend it if you're looking for something just, like, fun, funny, emotionally tugging at times. Just good, just, like, a good feel-good show that can kind of, like, speak to the failures of other similar shows, I guess. Well, maybe not speak to, but, um step up to the failures and, of similar shows. And convinces you the world can be a better place. <laughs> a good place for it's, those yeah, it's jokes. Yeah, it's got one of the, it's got that same feeling that Parks and Rec has where like, even when something is about to go wrong or does go wrong, it either resolves itself or even if it doesn't 100% resolve, you get a satisfying feeling of closure and acceptance about the things that happen in the show. And I just think that it, is one of our finest treasures of the sitcom world at this time. I'm <laughs> so, just glad yeah. I'm not alone in waiting for the new episodes. I now. didn't know. No, I literally, we literally did not know that those were the only, ep- like, that that was the last episode. And we were like, okay, one more. And then we got to go to bed. And then there were no more. <laughs> and it was horrible. Then it started playing an old episode of The Office and you screamed. <laughs> no, it was actually a new episode of Bob's Burgers because that was what oh, happened to me next in the watch list, gosh. but it, it was just, it's the only time I've ever been like horrified to see Bob's Burgers <laughs> pop up. <laughs> but yeah, so if you're looking for something that's feel good, there are five seasons of it. You will blow through it. You will have a great time. And now I already regret not using my second slot for The Good Place, which is another Michael Schwartz show. It's too late. So good. If we, if we so let him, good. no, if we let him start, uh, he'll never stop. 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 It's going right now. All right. Awesome. So anyway, so cool. The next thing, (laughs) and now for something completely different. (laughs) The next thing (laughs) that I watched recently that I really enjoyed was The Descent, 
because we cannot go an episode without talking about a horror movie. Um, I but is this you saying that The Shape of Water is not a horror movie then? I have no comment on this. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so The Descent is, if you don't know, a very popular um, let's say. Scottish-ish. It's like a. It's oh, like, I should know this. It's it's no. It's definitely it's like Scottish American like whatever horror movie about six women who meet up to go caving after. Is it six? Yeah, there's six oh, of them. Wow. After a horrible tragedy befalls one of them, and her husband and daughter meet a horrible fate. Sorry, I just spoiled that. <laughs> it's been out for like ten years it plus. Is so. One of the most formative and upsetting. Uh, deaths I have seen in a horror movie. Oh, it's like the shit that we're all afraid of. It. Yeah. <laughs> it, I think Ben literally said that his nightmares are like that. But yeah, so <laughs> so this is a super popular movie and considered by a lot of people to be part of kind of that new canon of like serious good horror movies. And it's one that I've never seen just because it kind of has like that kitschy looking cover where you're like, oh, okay, she's coming out of blood and like, <laughs> whatever. But, um,. I recently listened to the Faculty of Horror podcast episode about we it. We also cannot go an episode without mentioning them. Yeah, I love them so much. <laughs> I want to be their friend. But anyway, um, and it, I, I kind of use Faculty of Horror as that, like, I'll listen to this episode about a movie that I'm too much of a little baby to watch, which, like, <laughs> Martyrs is a similar experience with that one. But um, this is one that was really interesting to me because there are not a lot of horror movies where the cast is completely female. And where you have that kind of dynamic happening on screen, because normally it's like, oh, well, she's going to go off and have sex, and then this is going to happen. Like, so you have this totally insular group of friends who all care about each other and are really invested in each other's happiness. But at the same time, you get that same kind of, like, I don't want to say cattiness, because I feel like that is a disservice, but, like, that kind of, like, infighting and... um I don't know, just, like, when you have a good group of friends, like, sometimes you just don't get along. Right. And it's very rare that that you get to see that with women on screen because it gets played into this whole, like, oh, women can't get along, they can't be friends, they just photo the time and it's drama, blah, blah, blah. It, but, like, and it portrays that and it doesn't apologize for that, which is something that I super enjoyed. Also, it's terrifying. There's so many, like, I'm talking, yes, like, great feminist blah 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 but like it's, it's so fucking scary uh, there were so that does it make me pee my pants <laughs> yeah like there's so many moments i there were so many moments that i was gasping i was pulling a blanket over my face i think i smoked my boyfriend's e-cigarette like five times throughout just because like it's it's a really stressful and effective claustrophobic movie and and so much of it too I was a little bit distracted because like the film nerd in me was like oh my god this must have been such a nightmare to shoot to light and to like film and all this stuff it's so horrible but it's so good so if you somehow are like me and have not seen it I highly recommend it it is a great horror movie and I think well deserving of its place in the like modern pantheon also it's good prep for Hellboy because Neil Marshall is directing the new Hellboy Really? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Cool. That's so the internet's boyfriend and also a great director. <laughs> and now for something completely different. <laughs> Always, yeah. All right. Awesome. So yeah, that's the recently watched section. And now, as I said, we have convened to do an emergency episode because this movie is on the two fifty right now. And as with all newish movies on the two fifty, it may only be a brief and shining moment. So we are here today to talk about the movie "Call Me by Your Name." Professor Pearl, madame. Thank you so much. So nice. I can show you around. That'd be great. Thank you. So what do you do around here? Read books, transcribe music, swim at the river, go out at night. Sounds fun. All right, later. Just watch. This is how we'll say goodbye to us when the time comes. Later. <laughs> Meanwhile, we'll have to put up with him for six long weeks. Oh. Muscles are firm. Not a straight body in these statues. They're all curved. Sometimes impossibly curved. And so nonchalant, hence their ageless ambiguity. As if they're daring you to desire them. Call Me By Your Name is the 2017 Luca Guadagnino movie starring Armie Hammer and Timothée Chalamet. It is 
a romance set in Italy in the 1980s about the young Elio who falls in love with his father's new teaching assistant. Or yeah, more or less. Archaeological assistant. Yeah. It's a little yeah. unclear. Uh, He's Oliver. A one of those academic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Oliver. And it's basically about, you know, their blooming relationship and the summer that they spent together. And it's very good. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, good podcast. Yes, that's it. That's the whole episode. <laughs> Okay, so Charlie got to see it before we did, which is, I'm super jealous of. So can you give me, just tell me a little bit about your first impressions and how having read, like how you're having read the book informed those opinions. Um, I would say I'm kind of upset that I read the book only because the book and the movie, not that they're so different from each other, but they're just like separate entities. Like now that I've read the book, people are like, oh, which one's better? And I'm like, they're completely like separate. But I feel like reading the book... It didn't feel as, like, spontaneous in the moment, I guess, because the movie itself flows so much, like, just, like, scenes from a summer, and it's just, like, this calm, all these different things looping into each other. Um, But I did enjoy, there were certain things that I feel like were tiny little Easter eggs for if you read the book. Like, there's a scene where they show Oliver's bathing suits, like, all three of them, (laughs) and in the book... Uh, Elio keeps, like, this weird thing in his diary where he's, like, when he wears the red bathing suit, he's, like, fiery and passionate. And he wears the green one, he's, like, (laughs) calm and languid. And then, like, oh, he wears the yellow ones, he's, like, in a really good mood. (laughs) (laughs) So that, yeah. Um, my first time seeing it was in this, like, sold-out theater with, like, I saw it with a bunch of straight dudes, and I was so worried, and then I got out of it, and I was the only one who hadn't cried. They were all, like, <laughs> sobbing, like, that was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I'm so proud of them. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, be in touch with yourself. <laughs> and then I saw it again with my mom, which is a completely different experience, because she was like, I didn't get it. <laughs> Harold, they're lesbians. <laughs> What was that happening with the peach? I don't. What, what did that? We'll mean? get to that. We're not going to talk about that yet. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a little bit jealous because I, I have literally been dying to see this ever. I love Army Hammer, and I would do anything for him. <laughs> so when they're like, "Hey, we put that guy you love who was in the super gay subtext movie in a literally gay movie," I was like, "Yes, this is it. I've been waiting my whole life for this. I didn't even know it, and now it's here." So I was super yeah. excited about it. Um, Can we get the man from Uncle sequel now? Yeah, Guy Ritchie. Didn't get... we? Isn't this it? Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel Actually, like... Man from Uncle is what he's off going to do. But he's... Wait, really? <laughs> no, no. Oh. Like, like when... <laughs> no, like when he gets on the train. No, no, no. no. I yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the embarrassing oh. is a cover story from yeah. The Secret from oh God. Say those words. I just got so like... fucking excited. You have no idea. All right, so um, we just saw the movie literally an hour ago, <laughs> <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, I guess, here, Tyler, we'll go to Tyler. Tyler, your first impressions of the movie. I, I guess, uh, going off of what Charlie said, uh, I reading it seems like it must be such a different experience because the yeah. visual nature of the movie is so key to the vibe. It is bright and summery, and it's just, like, this loungy movie, and, like, this almost... I know time is, like, a very important thing, but it feels like one of those timeless summers when you just have all this time to lo- time, time, time to lounge around and in this case drink wine and eat apricots and talk about the roots of different words and uh, have this very romantic summer and um, it felt like a better version of uh, certain um, stories we see a lot in other in like many movies growing up like I wouldn't call it a coming of age movie but there is a certain element of that uh, that is really well done um I think one of the things that stood out to me a lot was Timothy Chalamet was such a so teen boy like just the mo- realest teenage boy and like the in all the best and worst ways like he's kind of a little snot a bunch of the time <laughs> and he like shows affection by like almost literally hitting people like he's like 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 a little boy who likes a girl but like like likes likes a person but doesn't know how to do it so he picks on that person mm-hmm. and even the weird way he like lunges his pelvis into marzia when he's making out with her I'm like i don't know what you're trying to do but unfortunately that is too familiar to me 
<laughs> you just don't know what to do with your body I, when you're getting sexual was, the first that time. That was actually a thing that stuck out to me was I was like, I feel like that's really how teenagers are. Yeah, like. <laughs> and in the scene where he's like with Army Hammer, like with Oliver, like the way that like he like opens his mouth is yeah. so weird. He's I'm like, like dude, it's like barely made out with people. Well, I'm like, I know much, exactly what you're doing, but yeah. like, well, it's oh. very much that thing where it's like, okay, I've seen this in movies and stuff. I will open my mouth and I will lick his finger, like that yeah. kind of thing. Like it's very like when you're that age, it's so hard to piece together like what you should actually be doing <laughs> so to speak this really effectively gets it across with almost no like just very naturally like i like i feel like the term naturalistic is used to describe the term like ways uh the vibe of movies a lot but i and here i almost mean that they i mean just the, the way they act as human beings is so mm-hmm. familiar and i don't know if it's because i was a young horny teenage boy <laughs> but... and i would say too it's one of those things where i wouldn't even say maybe naturalistic but i think it's just it's not the right word it's because it's a very stylistic movie like i wouldn't say that it's one of those like oh they just, just set up an iphone and let them make out right? in the grass or whatever yeah. but like i think that it's they made a very intentional choice to try to make it realistic, but still kind of have that picturesque and uh, cinematic <laughs> like feel. I feel like you had the feeling of, like it was summer, just the way that you remember a summer where you fell yeah. in love. Like everything is kind of perfect. A lot of the things that happened were things that, even if I didn't have exactly the same experience, I could telegraph what I experienced to it. Like, I understood the feeling. That's what a good movie should Yes, and I think, and it's one of those things where, uh, a first impression, I love this movie, and I really want to go see it again. I really wish that I had brought a notebook to take notes, because I'm sure there are so many things that I'm going to think about when we're done recording that I would have liked to talk about, but... The main thing, and I talked with Tyler a little bit about this, is that there's been, like, a weird kind of backlash against it a little bit with this whole, like, oh, it's, like, really predatory and yeah. whatever. And I feel very strongly about that because I think that... And the, char- the characters are 24 and 17 to, like... In the novel. Know, to be yes. explicit and, about it. And, again, and, and even, like, to the point where I was looking at the IMDb trivia and they're like, well, Elio is 17 and Oliver is 24 and also the age of consent in Italy is 14. And it's one of those things where... I think that when we have these relationships between younger and older people, it very much depends on the power interchange and it depends on how the younger person feels afterward. Do they feel that they gained something? Do they feel that they were taken advantage of? And I think that it's important to acknowledge those because I think sometimes we tend to take agency away from children or he's not a child, obviously, but we tend to take agency away from young people and stop them from you know, deciding what their emotions are, and I don't think that that's fair. And the movie very explicitly deals with that. It's maybe mm-hmm. one of the more, in a movie that is often very subtle and has a lot of things unspoken or spoken around, that is one of the more... Uh, like, are you okay like, with this? Yeah, he yeah, there's very a lot of, like, pointedly good, asked. Like, are you, does this make you happy and all this stuff? Yeah, and he and asks, I, can I kiss you at a certain yeah. point? Like, yeah, it, very and there much... was, I want to say, like, in the book, Okay, well, it's the peach scene, so I can wait to say it. But (laughs) the way that they did the peach scene in the book felt, like, weirder. And then in this movie, like, after it. In the book, I will say this. Okay, so in the book, Oliver, like, eats the peach. Yeah. And it's kind of weird. (laughs) And then in the movie, he, like, doesn't. And then, like, Elio just, like, breaks down crying. And, like, the first time I watched this movie, I had no idea that was going to happen because that's not what happened in the book. And Mm -hmm. it was, like, so moving because I was, like, there's this moment of, like, intimacy it's not just like a sexual thing it's like yeah it's it's an emotional thing and i think also something that really has bothered me about the discourse surrounding this is that i think as a society we've been coded for so long to think of gay men as predatory and so i think that it's a little bit of an internalized prejudice to immediately view this movie as something like to like you're looking for something to be wrong with it and obviously people are entitled to their opinions and they're entitled to feel that the way they feel but I think that it sometimes it's okay to just look at things at face value and to accept the word 
of, in this case, Elio, the person who this is happening to, that this is good and this is what he wanted and that it was a formative and, you know, like, it's sad, but also that's how a lot of our, like, first loves go, you know? Like, it it, it ends and it's sad, but you can look back on it in a good way. I feel that way about my high school boyfriend. Like, I... I feel very positively about that experience. I so. think it also helped that it happened within, like, a time frame. Like, it wasn't some long, like, drawn mm-hmm. out. Not that it wasn't a serious relationship, but the fact that it kind of happened over a summer mm-hmm. instead of, like, some long relationship. I don't know. I think it kind of Well, helps. and they knew that there was going to be an end point. Yeah. They always knew that. And they were always, like, and I think that lent to their hesitation in the first place. Because you right. kind of have this, like, oh, he's going to be gone in, like, eight weeks and... I don't know, is gay allowed? Like, like <laughs> this, whole, this whole thing. But, so, and it's interesting to me, and this is, I'm probably going to compare it to Carol a couple of times throughout this episode, but there were so many parallels to me between this movie and Carol where I felt like, ah, yes, this is, like, the male version of that. And maybe that's, like, and I don't mean that in a reductive or, like, insulting way or anything, but I just felt like they it's had that. a comparison to add nuance to it. Yes, well, they had that very similar vibe where it's, like, a young and yeah. inexperienced person who is realizing, like, the depth of their own emotional maturity and finding what it is that makes them truly happy. And the older person is also getting a chance to explore their sexuality in a way they have yeah, not that's been able to. Yeah, too, in the sense of, like, they both seem a little bit jaded from, like, what society's forced them to do about their sexuality, and then they find... Mm-hmm. And I mean, and yeah, and that's another thing that I, we talked a little bit in the car on the way home where I was like, whoa, do we want to, like, are they gay? Are they whatever? But I think it's pretty, it's pretty fair to acknowledge that sexuality is very fluid and that in this case, it seems that like, obviously, like, they're not, this is not their be all end all. And I think that's a good thing to acknowledge that like, sometimes you have these very intense flings or maybe yeah. not fling, but like this very intense short period of love and that that's very, and I mean, it's very important to acknowledge that and act on it as opposed to just trying to sit here and categorize it as like gay by <laughs> like, not straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things in the book it was there was this line about how he felt like Oliver was his brother and his father and his lover and his friend and like everything in one person and I feel like that's just a way of saying he's more than just like a way to say He's gay because he's with this man. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that, um, I know people get weirded out by that when you, like, classify your your lover as anything other than your lover. But I think that, a re- like, a real nuanced relationship has a lot of those aspects because when you're looking to bond with somebody, you're not just looking to have sex with them and you're not just looking to be like, all right, I would like to have sex with a man now. Even, <laughs> like, in, pl- even, plat- even in platonic relationships, you kind of have... I don't know, I feel like there is that nuance to it. Like, it isn't, like, people, like, people say all the time that their friend is, like, their sibling, their sister, their Mm -hmm. brother, all that. But also, I think, especially deeper friendships you have, they also play other roles in your life. And I think that, like, with most things, uh, once sex is involved, we get caught up in a lot of this stuff (laughs) that we wouldn't otherwise think twice about. Yeah. And I think this movie does a really good job of just, like, it happens. And it's it's one of those things where it's, it's a little bit hard because obviously you know going into it that this is, like, so a gay movie. So you just, like, want you want it to happen, like, immediately. And this movie is so good at restraint yeah. and at keeping expectations in line, I think. There's this whole thing in the beginning of them being, like, they don't like each other that much. And then, like, <laughs> oh. I feel like that's so, again, it's one of those things, it's, it's so, so yeah, real. Exactly. Like, I, they're and freaking there's... Elio being a youngling. He's like, oh, I like him. I just called him a youngling. <laughs> <laughs> but like he's like oh I like him but he can't know so I'm just gonna be a bitch to him the whole time. I loved I wish I'd been able to see just a little bit more that little glimpse of his little journal that he had going yeah <laughs> you'll be able to gonna... freeze frame that when you're watching yeah, it yeah that's yeah. so what I was gonna say yeah they have more of it since like the book is from his point of view he's like I wrote this in my journal blah 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 and there's a part where he's like I was too harsh blah 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 he thinks I hate him yeah and, and I, I wonder why and that was the other thing too like I remember when I was 17 and I was dating somebody that we pre- we communicated a lot through notes. And just, like, I thought about that and trying to, like, be that age. And, I, the, sorry, that's the better way to say this is I remember that feeling of being 17 and wanting everyone around me to think that I was adult and that I was older. And I felt like 
Timothy did such a great job of like portraying that on screen. There were so many scenes where I was like, it hurt me because I was like, yes, I understand that you just want to be seen as an adult so badly, but you just cannot handle these like impulses to do a dumb thing, like slip a note under the door or slam the door or whatever, like pretend to be asleep. I don't know. There's so many little things like that. Like I, I just keep coming back to that, like how good it portrays that time of life and in such a, in such a, like in all the time you Actually, it kind of made me think of There Will Be Blood in It, but <laughs> in that, uh, it is a really great uh, visual storytelling in that so often, uh, you, like throughout the movie, you know exactly or pretty close to the experience um, internally that the characters are having, and all, never, like almost never is that done by them explicitly saying yeah. what they're feeling. The most explicit it gets, and, and, like, or on the nose it gets, is like when um, his mother reads from a storybook. But even that did not play out the exact way I thought Which it I was loved. going to. And um, I think that's the thing I can't help but get over is just how seamlessly. And uh, it, it it communicates the emotional uh, And that's one thing I usually don't like about movies that are based on books is they're like, well, it was first person, so we're going to have a narrator. I'm really I'm glad so they didn't glad do it that. Didn't. Yeah, it would have been not good. I think, well, and I think a lot of this, the way that a lot of this movie works is in the unspoken things yeah, exactly. that are happening. Because, and again, it comes back to, to, we've all felt that before, like, we've all experienced that. Which is what makes me wonder how the book works and why, how it must be a different experience. Because, so, like, this movie, a lot is about the unspoken, whereas Mm -hmm. in a book, it's... Right, They're just right talking there. in their brain all the time. Yeah. I would say most of it is still unspoken in the book. It's just Elliot being like a whiny like Descriptions like, of what is happening. He's like, no, I like him. But also, he's an asshole. And I'm like, that's how it is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And just to, to stray away from the plot a little bit for a minute, I, this, this movie is so technically beautiful as well. There are so many yeah. great choices in color and lighting and the handheld camera work yeah long takes that wander across the spectrum these super yeah these super long singular shots and also i just am so enamored with that score because so much of it is so bright and upbeat and i feel like usually with these prestigious like artsy whatever (laughs) indie movies it's always like a slow like melodic carter burwell kind of thing going on where it's just like these like strings and swelling and everything but we have instead these like sharp staccato piano notes and it's just this really great like it make like your heart like your heart speeds up like you just get really into it because you're like oh yes like i'm so happy he's here like that kind of thing you know and then sufyan takes a baseball oh my god okay first of all sufyan stevens is emotional terrorism at any time no matter what is happening and every time like first time that that song started playing i was just like It's a little out of place oh, just because no, suddenly we have so a song good. with lyrics. But, but it's, it's so good. Yeah. I loved that scene too, where like the the I can't even think of exactly what's happening, but all that blue starts to like tint the yes. screen. While he's oh waiting. my gosh! Ah, uh, that yeah. The I, first time I watched it, I was like, this scene is weird and out of place, and I don't know how I feel about it. And then this time, I was like, that is just I doubt the the lens flare. I guess yeah. is the best way to describe <laughs> it. Was something that I just the whole time I. I was just tr- like tranced <laughs> by it. So my, good. My, my one of my, maybe my favorite moment, which just to pick out a very specific thing that I'm like, I thought the whole time. Remember this, write it down. This like, mm-hmm. but uh, is when he uh, when Elio is telling Oliver about the book his mom was reading and uh, what to speak or die, and uh, someone says something about uh, expecting a trap, and the focus yeah. then switches. The focus. Switches from Elio's face in the background to Oliver's face in the foreground, and and just like to cement like the realization that's hitting him in that moment. And I'm like, "Mm, that is. There are so uh, many little moments like that too. Artful. There are so many. My my favorite one that was similar to that that I noticed, um, or not that I noticed, but that really stuck out to me was when he is at where they're at the war memorial and telling, like, basically telling each other how they feel, and he's like. 
wait right here. Mm-hmm. And Elio goes, you know I'm not going anywhere. That broke my heart <laughs> to a thousand <laughs> tiny pieces. I could not believe that. Like, just I, the, the simplicity of that statement. I'm kind of sitting here, I just realized there's a lot of seeds in this movie that are kind of just, like, waiting. Like, there's Elio waiting for Oliver to come home from, like, the town, or waiting for him to come to dinner, or waiting for him to, like, get back from the publication store, or... And it's kind of just interesting. Also, the, <laughs> the boldness of, like, how when he's making that admission, how they are going separate ways across the monument. In a public yeah. place. With them. Very empty public place. Well, that's but that's convenient. Like, that's fine. That's fine. It's one of those things where, like... And but I he had like, to get away from the house. Well, I like that that is kind of subverted because when you're like when you're watching a movie that is about like queer things you're kind of always waiting for the other shoe to drop for it to be like oh they're found out or oh yeah. somebody saw them or oh like they're in trouble now like yeah, you're all you're always waiting for that because it's just like that's usually the party line for these kinds of movies is somebody finds out and it's horrible and everything sad happens and then it's horrible. <laughs> is that horrible? Like 400 times, but you get it. Like it's one of those things where you're just always kind of low key stressed. And I'm honestly really excited to go back and watch it again and not be waiting for that moment at all. Now I usually try not to be like all completely uh, all praise for a movie. I want to find some negative things. So I think one of the things like, I'm not even sure that this would be my favorite movie of 2017, but maybe more so than most other movies. There is, I don't think there's really a glaring flaw to it. Uh, I think it is just more of a, it's so well done that it's kind of just like you're into it or you're not. It really depends mm-hmm. on your taste for this style of movie. I will say, I, I mentioned earlier, I do think it goes on for a while and it is kind of disorienting to go from this timeless summer to uh, several scenes happening outside of that and they're kind of key for the story that they're telling but it's still uh i don't know it's disorienting in a way i think that's kind of the point though like summer has yeah. to end like yeah. you have to real life is coming and it's coming it just fast. spends quite a while after on the real life i guess but then you kind of get you kind of need that to have important moments like i think the reconciliation with marzia is very important mm-hmm. uh and obviously the conversation with his dad is uh, pretty The only thing moment. that I will say is that I the only thing that I feel a little iffy about is I really wish that like I understand that this More is ropes. their No, I I understand that this is like their great love story or whatever, but just don't treat women like that. Just say you're yeah, sorry. I like you're that too. I really wanted I mean, him to say that he was sorry. Yeah. I do get that Elio. He's a 17-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I agree. I, I wasn't sure if she was going to come back, so in the moment I was just happy that at least they addressed that he was true. Sure. See, that's another thing, Even too, if in, the, in the book, he, like, he, ha- he has more relations with Marcia, like, after mm. the summer. But the book goes past the summer, and I yeah. know that this is going to have a sequel, I'm pretty sure. So, you know. And this ended at the summer. Mm-hmm. So, but I liked... Call me by your middle name. Yeah. <laughs> there's, yeah, and there's so many nice things about... I think that the other thing is that we have these really engaging and great performances from our two leads, but the the side characters are also very fleshed out and very... You, you, you feel for them, too. Yeah, you have his parents who are very loving and supportive, and I think that they both realize maybe what's going on before either the two <laughs> yeah. of them do. And you have, you know, these girls who are there but they're not just like they're not just there they are they like books they are they tell you about themselves it's not even if maybe they don't get the resolution that i would hope for any girl in any movie it's still not the same they're not just like discarded to the side i do love at the end how the mom like invites them both over to dinner to be like so your two boyfriends went and fell in love with <laughs> sorry about my shitty sons can i make pasta for you yeah and it was one of those things too where i was so happy because again that's the other thing when you're watching like a queer film where you're always waiting for their parents to be super mad at them and yeah. and Sometimes, like, that was my biggest gripe with Blue is the Warmest Colors. They completely sidestepped it by completely cutting it out of the story. And I don't think that that's fair either. But it's so nice to just have that movie where the mom is, like, obviously super wink-winky. Like, okay, why don't you go on this trip with Oliver? That'd be super fun, wouldn't it? But it isn't super obvious about how, like, we're going to have supportive parents. They're just, yeah. I don't know, they're, they're good parents of that. They're present. They're there for them. They yeah. They kind of let on that they know what's up. But it isn't, it isn't show, it, it doesn't, uh feel like it's stretching to make a point or to say right. this is a movie with supportive parents. Yeah, I think and I like, think moralize that the, them in a way. Yeah, it comes back to that like realistic thing that this whole movie has going on where you have just good parents being good parents mm-hmm. and it's not to be like this is the gay movie where the parents don't suck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh so I will say uh I think even though I kind of 
uh, ha- was a little bit negative on it. I think the end of the movie is important for uh, for as good and well executed as the rest of the movie is. A lot of its heft and a lot of the thing that gives it lasting weight and um, uh, and besides uh, be- just being representational, that's not quite. Right. But the thing the thing that really gives it heft and I think makes it a better, more substantial movie are the things that happen at the end. Both the very end, the credit scene where we see him go through an entire emotional oh. journey over the credits, which is very important. Which but such that a is a great choice too. It's so good. I know the first that, time I watched it, I was like, none, like nobody in this stop movie. Like, don't get up. <laughs> Especially since that evolves from a very important and like show-stopping conversation with the dad, in yeah. which uh, I think we've come to the agreement that the dad also very obliquely comes out to his son mm-hmm. and kind of gives a sadder version of the same okay. exact story. Yeah, what could have happened, I feel like. Almost. Yeah, and it's like, it's very bittersweet because he like, has a happy life now, but he never had that moment that his son has had. And uh, just the way it talks about living your emotions and not uh, shutting them away or becoming numb or tearing them out, I think it says. Uh, oh, it's and the way the it executes time. that in the, the way it executes <laughs> that in the credits where you see him uh, do what his dad said, which is he like he's sad, yeah. he feels his pain, but he also mm-hmm. is happy in the end too. It's I, well, I think the most the, important thing uh, to take away is that we have these experiences and that it's good to feel them and feel every part of them, and that just because something ended bittersweet or sadly doesn't mean that it wasn't worth it to yeah. happen in the yeah, first place. The joyous things that were in it are like no longer joyous somehow. Yeah. It, 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 and especially when you talk about how uh, all gay movies end in tragedy for the most <laughs> for part. For the most part, this yeah. one, like, it's not like, a, obviously, it's not the, uh, it's not a utopia at the end. It's bit, very bittersweet, but like you have the sadness, but also the happiness. I think it's fair, and I think that Overall it's, positive. Uh, nobody died, so I'm happy yeah. about that. Like all the sadness <laughs> doesn't come from like... Gayness. Well, it's not from trauma. It's not from like they weren't ripped apart. Yeah. They, again, they knew that there was going to be an end to their summer. They knew that this was going to be over at a certain point. It had like a defined end point. <laughs> it comes down to it's not about like they weren't torn apart from each other and they didn't have this horrible outing or anything like that. It just was done and they moved like they moved on and they will remember it fondly, I'm sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the sadness that comes with like the ending of any relationship. It's mm-hmm. not like, oh wow, we had this super intense gay relationship that ended because of things we couldn't control. Yeah, they were very they were very much in control of their own narrative and their own romance. And yeah. I think that that's something that's really rare for movies like this. And for the reason many relationships end. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh in that sense, it almost uh, if you if you watch this movie from a different perspective or in a different culture, you almost wouldn't know, or you almost wouldn't have what we have, which is like bringing the history of uh, of gay like gayness in America or in cinema and or in cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I don't know. It brings an entirely different perspective. This movie is executed to the point where like if aliens watched it. They would not bring in some of the stuff we have. It would just it still work the same yeah, way yeah. for them. But it'd be a total dork. I think Italian cinema is like way more like open when it comes <laughs> to right. sexuality and stuff like that. But I'm yeah, just thinking about that too, just in the sense of like Luca bringing so much Italian. I mean, it was set in Italy, so I feel like that helps with the colors and the lightness. Oh, it's a and, like, it's a total postcard for Italy yeah. too. I I really want to ride my bike around Italy right now. But yeah. And I loved all those scenes where like Elio would look up and then the camera would pan up to like mm-hmm. beautiful Italy. So many good. I loved a lot they had a lot of these really great like dizzying handheld like revolving yeah. shots too that I was a huge fan of. But yeah, so I think we're to final thoughts. I think we are to final thoughts. So Charlie, do you have a defined final thought that you would like to okay. get out? Okay, so as I said, I've seen this movie three times, and I feel like my view of it has fluctuated depending on who I see it with, you know, because I keep getting different opinions. Now I've decided, finally, <laughs> third watch, I love this movie. <laughs> I think it's really beautiful. I love Timothy Chalamet, and I just want him to win all the awards. I'll say that right now. And... I feel like him and Army Hammer's chemistry was incredible. Off the charts. Yeah. And um, Sufjan Stevens makes me cry. (laughs) (laughs) I cried when Chris was unicorn. (laughs) I think, yeah, Army Hammer is one of those guys that I think is super underutilized by this industry. And it's nice to see somebody who seems to be so in touch 
with his own feelings, I guess, who is, like, because he's kind of that, like, archetypal, masculine, like, (laughs) tall-ass dude, and you would think of him as, like, this, like, bro, but he is a very, like, sensitive man, and I think he chooses roles where he gets to either be funny or he gets to play something that, like, matters to him, and it is a joy to see him get to do something like this that's so emotionally involved and so dependent on his performance and on just, like, the littlest things from him, like facial expression or... The smiles he gives in some moments, but he's just, like, either, like, pleased with himself or the moment is funny and he just... I just, I guess, I guess for my... I just, I would do... I would do anything for him. Like, (laughs) I want him to be in everything. I would watch him in anything. And Mm -hmm. I just hope that this is really finally, like, I know he's been in an Oscar-y movie before and it didn't quite take off. And I just really hope that this is his moment and that he gets to just do everything. So I was clearly very proud of their work in this, uh, which is cool. Yeah. So good. But yeah, Tyler, so final thoughts. (laughs) Well, I was also going to mention, like, I was... Because I've heard about how good they are. And at first, I thought they were like... Uh, it take, It took me a while to really appreciate how good it is. And then with the final credits, it really gets it across. But uh, I think one, I, my final point isn't even so much a summarizing point, but another thing I thought of, which is, once again, uh, me harping on... Or not harping on, but like praising uh, how just like natural and true mm-hmm. this seems. Which is like even the sex scene. The sex scenes. Uh, like they, It's funny... And they giggle and they're silly and they're clumsy and they're, awkward, and they're yeah, he tries to jump all over him. They, so sweet. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, that's how what works. Yeah. And it makes it it's amazing how much better it works and how when you're actually honest about sex is silly it's and weird sloppy. And yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and I think that that's again, just really the the truest strength of this movie is its dedication to portraying reality. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so yeah, we all love we all love this movie. I kind of already had mine, but okay. I say my final thought is that I wish Michael Stuhlbarg was my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will agree with that. I wish that he was my dad in the army and I was my boyfriend. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, so I guess we'll move into trivia, which is I waited because I, I really didn't want. We were having such a nice conversation, I didn't want to derail it. So the trivia of the week. <laughs> That peach scene. <laughs> so, all right. So, I'm going to spoil... Obviously, we spoiled the show this whole movie. But, so, there is a scene where Elio fucks a peach. Yeah. It's <laughs> like peach fucks. Butt. <laughs> he sticks it so sick of it. He's like, this is well, a very fleshy peach. And I was like, what? Well, I didn't... Oh, I did not... I, I literally did not know that that was going to happen. So, I'm like watching him. I'm like, he's being really fucking messy with oh, his peach. I like, definitely... Stop. Dude, I like, definitely stop realized so at a certain point, I'm like, he's <laughs> gonna before, fuck the peach. I'm like, it's all... No, he oh, fucked he is gonna fuck the peach. He like put his thumb in it. I was like, oh my god, I feel like this is the sex. No, there was like a half moment where I was like, oh no. Yeah. Oh my god, he's gonna. Because I've heard so much about where well, he just put his finger on the peach. I'm like, this is weird, but oh, oh no, he no. just kind of hits me. Like I have been, I I was fr- like I was a teenage boy with teenage friends. I realized probably way too soon. Like oh, he's gonna fuck. The it's peach. like the pure version of the like fucking American Pie scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is so. like this movie's fish stick. I've and like, heard that about they bring it, and that they bring it back. I like, I thought too. I'm like. He should take a shower. He's going to smell like peach down. No, okay, so, yeah, so he fucks the peach, and then Oliver makes a big show of pretending to eat the peach, and then they After, cry, and after uh, maybe, you know, getting a little mild Oh, yeah, oh, he went down. Like, yeah, absolutely. What did He's you like, do? That was so great. The comedic timing of that is so... That's the other thing with Army Hammer, is he is so and legitimately And he looks over funny. and sees this peach with a hole in it. And he's like, oh, my God, oh. you did not do this. The way he reacts... So, okay, so, so the lovely. trivia of the week... Oh, okay, yeah, right. ...is so... This is a con- controversial scene from the novel as far as I understand and now that I'm like thinking about it, I'm like I feel like I did somebody said like oh a peach like I'm sure but so Guadagnino comes to Timothy Chalet and he's like so I tried the peach thing and it definitely works so I think we should do it in the movie and Timothy's like yeah I tried it too I guess we can do it <laughs> so they have both fucked a peach in real life. I hope Army found out about that. Was like, well, I can't like, be locked out. Now, yeah. <laughs> I really just want Someone go one... through his Twitter likes. Is there a peach somewhere? Can one person just ask Army if he also fucked a peach? <laughs> I just gotta know. Ask me important questions. Can somebody also publicly ask him about his Twitter bondage likes? Because I'm really interested oh in it. Have you not heard about this? Well, he, liked, he liked a bunch of po- like role play, like a bunch of like kinky role play Army. pictures. And everybody was like, bro, your Twitter likes are public. <laughs> and he was like, whoa. 
<laughs> so I'm very, very interested in that. Uh, so the t- statistics, I need to update our statistics page, so I'm going with a very easy Control-F-enabled one, <laughs> which is that there are seven 2017 movies on the 250, which is already, like, even at the highest point, more than 2016 ever had on there. And I will go through them with uh, as much comedic effect as possible. So uh, you have a Pixar movie, Coco, which okay. is Pixar, not a surprise. I'm kind of surprised Coco's the highest. I've been 37. Super high. Whoa. Then we have a very, uh, very IMDb one. Uh, three billboards outside Edinburgh. Mm. Mm. Number yeah. I will say, I felt, I felt very complicated about that movie. Uh, it had some issues. I'm just not into that it. That was one of those movies the, where I was like, I guess it was okay. And the more people praised it, the more I was like, no, actually, I hate it. It was movie. actually so bad, yeah. The next one is also a very IMDb choice, but one I'm very into. It's Blade Runner 2049 All right, at yes. 121. We will be doing an episode about that, by the way. There's just heads up preview. Calling by Your Name at 172. After that, we get Logan, very 250, but Fair. also very good at 194. It's been sticking out for the whole year. Dunkirk. Which like might be Christopher Nolan's of best course. movie, and it's down at two fourteen. The IMDb does not know what it is doing ever. It's cool. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then Thor Ragnarok sticking it out at two sixteen. Twenty seventeen is a good year now, for movies. Kayla, uh, I think we all have forgotten something very important. Which is that we also end the podcast with recommendations. I did actually just remember that, and I was about to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Okay. No, I don't have them in my brain. It's okay. Um, I'm going to be super annoying and just recommend Carol, because oh, I think there's a lot of parallels. I think we can all collectively recommend Carol, because it's a really yes. good movie. It's about lesbians. Has it's got Rooney Mara in a good role. <laughs> yeah, Rooney Mara not disappointing me for once ever. Has anyone seen A Bigger Splash, Guadagnino's, uh, his most recent Tilda Swinton movie? I guess we're going to have to, but yeah. So I would say we will just collectively recommend that you watch something with gay people. Oh, well, I was going to make, I was going to kind of put it all together. My beautiful laundrette, which is Daniel Day Lewis in a gay movie. <laughs> really? Yeah. It was like one. It's his first feature movie. I can't remember the year it came out. It's about. It's set in Britain. It's about this like Pakistani immigrant in England who like starts a laundrette company and he's like discriminated against because he's Pakistani and also. He's gay, and he, like, falls in love with Daniel Day-Lewis. And, like, it's actually, it's another happy gay movie. Like, there's some stressful things that happen, but most of it isn't because, I mean, there's parts of it where they get persecuted because they're gay, but also at the same time, they're like, you know, I love you, and I'm going to stick with you. Oh, my God. Now I'm just imagining Daniel Day-Lewis, like, being gay in real life for six months because he's so dedicated (laughs) to the craft, but... He played someone named John in three things in a row. (laughs) That's, that's Sorry, that's just a photo. That's, that's a bonus trivia. I'll say he has weird hair in that movie. <laughs> hey. It's like bleach, but only on the top, and then it also just like spikes up. So it's 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 Good. a look. You'll have to watch it Good. to see. All right, Tyler, do you have a recommendation? Yeah. Uh, speaking of postcards of Italy, uh, the trip to Italy, the trip to Italy. It's the um, Steve Coogan. Yeah, it's Love the him. movie about two well, these two guys going on a. They just go around uh, uh, country, this time Italy, making jokes, doing impressions, being really funny, getting to eat really nice food and wine, and uh, really... It's the. It seems like the greatest gig in the world. But you're just gonna want to go to Italy. Yeah. Similarly, <laughs> to call call me by your name. But yeah. Oh, but collectively, the trip, the trip to Italy, the trip to Spain, just the whole thing. But Italy, to be specific, mm-hmm. and on yes. brand. Awesome. So Ben is cooking dinner for us. So I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up. <laughs> now that we're recording in real time or anything, the podcast is timeless. But um, yes. So <clears throat> you can find us at ltrfi.com our branded website which is a tumblr page but it's still a website very exciting uh if you want to find the more fun and interactive way to get a hold of us that would be our twitter which is ltrfi pod if you could rate and review us on itunes we would greatly appreciate that it makes us look awesome tell your friends yeah um if you want to drop us a longer line you can always email us at ltrfipod at gmail.com if you would like to be people yeah, if you would like to be on an episode, we are always welcoming guests and working on that. Uh, we will return in a couple of weeks with third co-host Lauren. We are super sad that Lauren couldn't join us this week, but unfortunately the nearest theater playing this is two hours away from her. So she will join us again in a couple of weeks. We're going to do Memento, so all you Christopher Nolan IMDb freaks will be super <laughs> excited about that. 
But yeah, so we're probably going to continue on with our, we'll do, we're going to, we're planning more actual 250 episodes. We'll keep doing the fun episodes. If you have a suggestion or something you would really like to hear us talk about for some reason, go ahead and send that on in and we will definitely consider it. So yeah, um, we will talk to you next time. Uh, I'm going to be nicer and not trash Jurassic World in this episode. No, we're, 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 do- <laughs> we're done. Colin, the- Colin Trevorrow has gotten... He's done. Two. He's over. Uh, Canceled. Canceled. I will say, it's really, <laughs> it's really fun to have a least favorite director purely for his content and not for his Being the uh, worst. conduct. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say that Carol is a great movie. And always <laughs> <laughs> so, I think you mean Carol 2017 directed by Todd Haynes. 2015. A, you, sorry, sorry. You rube. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But yeah. So we'll talk to you all very soon. And also, obviously, thank you, Charlie, so much for playing. <laughs> and for getting us So I didn't even fucking talk about that. Charlie got us into the movie, which is the greatest thing that's ever happened so we are so grateful eternally to them thank you Is it?